Well, I wanted to, uh, at Tom's request, which I'm grateful for, uh, I wanted to preach this text. Some of you may know I've considered this text a lot over my time in this church. But I wanted to preach this text for other reasons, other than, I think, knowing it, uh, or at least thinking about it a lot. Uh, I wanted to preach this text because I think there's a connection, there's a tie with the baptisms, the testimonies, especially we'll hear about later. And I think we'll see that in, in particular in one verse of John 15. Uh, but there's also, me preaching this text is, um, is, is kind of coming, God bringing uh, Rebecca and I full circle uh, in this congregation. Because I think, unless I'm misremembering, I think the very first sermon I heard Tom Mercer preach was on John 15, 1 through 11. Uh, a friend from the seminary, they didn't end up in the church, but they had visited. They had heard Tom preach. They were very excited and encouraged, and they told us about Christ's covenant. I went home to my, Rebecca and I were just dating at that time, so I went home to my uh, single guy apartment uh, and listened online to John 15, a sermon preached by Tom Mercer. And my heart was drawn to Christ, and I knew I needed to visit. So, and here I am today. <clears throat> so it's God's kindness to me and to Becca that he called us to this church uh, through, really, through the preached word. Uh, and through the word preached through a humble servant, Tom Mercer. Uh, and we see that modeled even in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as he speaks to his disciples today. So those are two reasons. There's a third reason I wanted to preach this uh, passage uh, today is because I, I think we'll see... Uh, as the title of the sermon says, we'll see a charter for, for this local church, for this body gathered here today. And it's a charter for every church because Jesus is speaking to his people, his 12, well now 11 as we'll see disciples. And he is constituting, he is bringing about the new people of God, the covenant people of God. And so this is a charter for every single church. It's a charter for every disciple who worships Jesus. It's a charter for every church that gathers together a body as we are a body of disciples. So those are the reasons I wanted to preach this passage and uh, I thank Tom for allowing me to. If you would turn to John 15, 1 through 11. I'll read the passage for us and then and we'll see uh, there's three main sections of these first 11 verses. And so, not surprisingly, three main points to the, to the sermon today. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does fair, bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We see in this passage that Jesus commands us, he commands us to abide in him. But he also tells us how to abide in him. So that we will demonstrate, we will prove our discipleship to the glory of God. We will prove our discipleship by bearing fruit to the glory of God. And all that, all that results in our joy. As we sang about, as Charles mentioned in his brief devotion. So I'll restate that. Jesus preaches this passage. Jesus in this text commands us to abide in him. And he commands us to abide in him, but also tells us how to abide in him. He gives us help to obey this command. He does this so that we will bear fruit that proves our discipleship to the glory of God. And all of that results in our full joy, our full joy in Christ. So there are, as I said, three section to this, sections to this passage. In verses 1 to 2, we see that the church dwells in the true vine by the Father's care. The church dwells in the true vine by the Father's care. Uh, in order, though, to see how this command fleshes out, how we live out this command, and even how we might struggle to live out this command, we need to consider the context of Jesus' words to his disciples, and thus his words to us. You know, anytime we read Scripture, Tom does an excellent job reminding us we have to remember what we've just heard the previous Sunday, what we've read the day before. We have to consider the context. And in John's Gospel, the first 12 chapters, John narrates Jesus' incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he says. And then he narrates how Jesus called and gathered his disciples. Called them from, they were out fishing. And Jesus calls them and says, follow me. And how Jesus in those first 12 chapters, with his disciples in tow, perform many great signs, John calls them. Signs that testify to his messianic identity. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior of Israel and the world. But as Jesus performs those signs, not everyone believes in him. Not everyone follows him. Not everyone abides in him, as we'll see. Because in John 12, at the turn of the gospel, John says that even though Jesus did so many signs among Israel, they did not believe him. Jesus was not holy, but largely rejected by his own people. In the first chapter of John, he says, He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But, he also says in that next verse in chapter 1, But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And so when we turn the page to chapter 13 in John's gospel, we see Jesus turn away from the nation of Israel and he turns to his 12 disciples. And he speaks from chapter 13 through chapter 17 to his 12 and then to his 11 disciples. Because in chapter 13, as we read John's gospel, we see Jesus on the night before he's arrested and taken to trial to the cross eventually, he gathers with his twelve. He, in great humility and love, washes their feet, providing a model for their love for one another. But he also tells them that one of them will betray him. 
that a friend will eat his bread and then go out and betray him. Sure enough, he hands the bread to Judas and he leaves. And John says at the end of chapter 13, it was night. It's literally dark and it is spiritually, emotionally dark for these disciples. Their hearts are troubled, as chapter 14 says. They are distressed. They are concerned. Jesus has told them he is leaving. He is going away. They wonder why. Why? They believe he, they have followed him as Messiah, as the king of the universe, the son of God. Why would he leave? He has just gathered a community. He has just started this new work. And now he tells them he's leaving. After one of their own leaves to go betray him. And if we put it together with the other gospels, we know he's also given them the bread and the, the cup to tell them about the cross that's coming. So as we read, as you hear John 15, we need to hear it with that setting in mind. So if you, especially if you are distressed or fearful today, this is a word for you. This is a word for all of us. But that setting of, is God with me? This is what the disciples felt. This is what they wondered. In that context, in light of all that, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verses 1 and 2 provide the, the imagery, the theological soil, out of which the rest of the passage grows. And if you have read the Old Testament, or as you read even Matthew from last week, as Tom preached, there's vineyard imagery all over the Bible, because there's vineyards all over Palestine. So this imagery was both uh, well-known, but also vivid. It was well-known because the disciples walking outside, across from the temple, could see vineyards all over the place. Across the entrance of the door of the temple, there was a vine with branches and grapes on it, representing God's covenant relationship with his people and his desire to bless his people. So the land will, will bear fruit because... God's people are blessed. This is what that imagery conveyed. Jesus shows up and says, I am the true vine. Like the prophets, Jesus describes Yahweh's relationship, God's relationship with his people with this imagery. But Jesus takes it on himself. Jesus says, I, I am. The way Yahweh said in the Old Testament, I am. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He is God in the flesh. He is the spokesperson, spokesman of the Father, of the one who created, as Ray prayed, created the heavens and the earth. When we read Jesus' words, we read God's words. When we hear Jesus speak, we hear God speak. And my Father, he says, is the vine dresser. Jesus speaks to his people, he speaks to his disciples, to us, so that, in order that, God the Father can tend to his people. And verse 2 tells us God tends to his people in a very careful way. Every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. We'll come back to this in verse 6. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The Father, as we, if you read the Bible, and I encourage you to read the whole Bible, all the way through if you haven't before, you see God consistently, constantly, persistently, patiently, long-suffering, Tending to his people. 
pruning them. Even in the Old Testament, eventually sending them into exile. Not to leave them there, but to prune them, to bring them back to Himself. God disciplines His children because they're His children in order to bring them back to Himself. To draw out greater love and faith in Him. To run away from false fruit. Really, no fruit, as we'll see in verse 5. To run away from the idols of the Old Testament. To run away from fear. To press toward Jesus. The Father does this work. So we see in verses 1 and 2 that the true church, the church, dwells in the true vine by the Father's care. Turn with me to look at verse 3 through 10. Big, the longest section of this passage. See that the church abides in Jesus and His love to bear fruit for God's glory. So the Father is tending his, to His people for a reason. And the Father tends to His people by Jesus abiding with them and are abiding in Him. Verse 3 says, Already, Jesus says, Already to His disciples, all of them, not just one, but all of them, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Earlier in John 13, when Jesus washed His disciples' feet, Peter stopped his Lord and said, No, Lord, not if you, who are you to kneel down and wash my feet? I should kneel. Peter, very often, we shouldn't be hard on Peter because he gets it half right often. We often get it mostly wrong, so we shouldn't be so hard on Peter. But Peter says, no, Lord, let me. And Jesus says, I must wash you. And then Peter says, well, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash my head and my hand. Wash all of me. <clears throat> but Jesus says, I'm washing your feet. He's demonstrating his love for them. And then he says, you must be washed by me. I'll read this so I, I don't just par- over-paraphrase. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew, Jesus knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. So Jesus, when he talks about you are clean, disciples, you eleven... They have been purified. The evil one, the son of perdition, Judas, has left their midst. The false branch has been lopped off. The father has taken off the branch that does not bear fruit. Judas has left the group. But he says, you disciples, you are clean already. You are my people already. But notice why they are clean. It's not because they decided to stay. It's not because Peter was always trying hard, getting it half right or half wrong. He says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Because of who Jesus is, his word makes clean those who receive him, those who submit to him, who believe in him. His word also reveals the intentions of those who do not truly believe in him. So there, there came a breaking point in his twelve. Where because of Jesus' word, Judas finally leaves, right? Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Because of his word, Judas leaves. Reveal Judas' intentions. But also because of his word, these eleven, they stay. They commit to be with Jesus. They have trusted him. They believe him. 
We will see uh, shortly, I haven't seen, but I'm pretty sure we will hear as we watch the testimonies and we talk to those who are baptized, we will hear the reality of God's word rooting deep in a person's life, taking roots. The gospel, which is the declaration, it's the word of God's good news about his son Jesus, taking root in a person's heart, changes them. But it also makes them God's child, thus changing them. The, I, we are God's children, not because we try hard, not because we grew up in a Christian home, but because of Jesus' word. This is what makes us his people, and it keeps us as his people. So already you are clean because of the word Jesus spoke to you if you are his child. Thus he turns in verses 4 to 6 to talk about this abiding language. Abide in me and I in you. We will, if you'll hang with me, I'll try to define what Jesus means by abide or remain, your, your translation may say. What does Jesus mean by that? I'll define that when we come to verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, abide with me, stay with me. Jesus says, abide in me. The vine, as the branches must live, the branches are nothing. The branches are pointless if they are just beside the vine, if we take the imagery out a little further. The branch must be in the vine, attached to, drawing its very life, its identity, its purpose, its presence from the vine. So Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Notice also what Jesus says here. He says, abide. This is a command. You must, you could read, abide in me. I command you to abide in me. This is an imperative. So I want you to begin asking the question, if you haven't already, how is it that we can keep this command? How do we obey this command to abide in Jesus? When we read a command, we should ask that question. I hope, I hope we do. I hope you do. Ask the question of how do I do this? How do we do this together? Because Jesus says he, he gets to the, he's getting the point the whole way. But in verse 5, if you remember one verse, remember probably this verse from this passage. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He gives this. Very stark, positive example, taking out the imagery, the vine and the branch and the fruit that would come. It's not If you are not in Jesus, the vine, it's not that you will produce bad fruit. You will produce nothing. So those who do good in this world, good in this world, apart from relationship with Jesus, apart from a trusting, loving relationship with Jesus by his word to the glory of the Father. Those who do good in this world, apart from that, God looks at as nothing. So the greatest, largest check someone could write to help folks have clean water, to provide um, medicines to an entire tribe or country of people, good, but apart from Jesus, it's nothing. 
fruit. Fruit is defined by relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6, the negative warning, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This is prophetic judgment imagery. It's like the prophets preached all the time. And Jesus, I don't think, is trying to parse out whether one can lose his salvation or not. I don't think if someone is genuinely saved, they can. That's an aside. The point of this verse is to warn his disciples to persevere. Remember, Judas has just left. A false branch has just been cut off. Was never in the vine, we might say. So we must be abiding in, not just with, but in Jesus. How do we keep this command? How do we obey this command to abide in Jesus? Verse 7 helps us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. We abide in Jesus Christ by his word dwelling in us, which we pray back to him. We are made clean. We are made his people by his word. And then to help us stay in him, to grow in him, we pray to him in his name. We call out to the Father. We ask for mercy. Um, I read Psalm 42 this morning. As we, we say honestly to God, my soul pants for you. My tears drench my pillow. We cry out to God. We pray to Him. And God, by His Word, through the work of the Spirit, works. He tends to His people and keeps us in the vine and bearing fruit on the vine. And all this, verse 8, glorifies God the Father. That you may bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Just say very briefly that Jesus, I think, has in mind not only our moral fruit, the change of our character, that we will grow in love and honesty and righteousness and trust and faithfulness and integrity that we will grow in that as we grow in Jesus, but also our missional fruit. If you keep reading and read verse 16, he tells the disciples, I've appointed you to go, to go, to go out on mission, and that your fruit should abide. So our lives as disciples, intrinsic to that, intrinsic to a church, is that there are new people coming into relationship with Christ. And what a day to see that witnessed today as we hear testimonies and witness baptisms. And all this, all of this, all this work is for God's glory. Jesus, throughout John's Gospel, says He is about His Father's work. He is about the glory of God. If you read the, the mission statement of Christ's Covenant Church, it's all about God's glory. So what does that mean? Well, it means that God is the most significant, most important, highest, greatest, the first, the last. God is... Above all and over all. So, if He created everything and He judges everything and He redeems those who come to His Son, then He deserves everything. All of our reverence, all of our worship. Jesus says what He is doing in His disciples as He is speaking to them, as He is bringing them along, as we gather, as we hear God's Word, as we love one another, as we live as a church, this is for God's glory. 
So the second point, again, is the church abides in Jesus and his love to bear fruit for God's glory. And we see that teased out especially in verses 9 to 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, as I promised, I'll try now to define what does Jesus mean when he says abide? That's all well and good. Abide or remain. Early in John's gospel, the word does mean geographically, physically, in proximity, stay with Jesus. Will you remain beside me? But he uses that word, Jesus uses that word to then dive into a deeper, to describe the deep covenant relationship God has with his people. If you look with me, just Maybe on the same page at chapter 14, verses 18 to 24. Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. So fatherless. That's what an orphan is, right? I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you and me and I and you. Jesus anticipating the day when he will rise, when the Father will raise him up from the dead. After his cross and the resurrection, Jesus will come back, he says to his disciples. And they will know then that they are in him. The Father is in him. There's this mutual indwelling, this relationship. Deeper, deeper than the best marriage on this earth. But indeed, God uses marriage to describe this relationship. So the best human relationship relationship you have ever had and the longing you have to have more of it, multiply that by infinity, right? This is what God has in store for us in Christ. He wants us to grow in. So he says, verse 21 of chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? I think in some it means to love Jesus. So Tom, every year asks, and even throughout the year, do we love Jesus more? How do you know? Well, are we... Keeping his words. So Jesus gives commands not to be burdensome, but because if we love him, we will want to do what he says. And we will grow in doing what he says. Because, remember, God has fruit in store for us to bear. There's this mission taking place. So to abide in Jesus is to abide in his love. And if we are to abide in his love... And to abide in Jesus is to love Jesus. So are you growing in your awareness, your knowledge of Jesus' love for you, his love for this church? In turn, is that resulting in love for others? Love one another, he'll keep saying, if you read the rest of John 15. Keeping his commands. Finally, the third point, all of this that Jesus has said is for his disciples' joy. It's for our joy. So the church that abides in Jesus enjoys the fullness of his joy in them. All I have spoken to you, 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. So if Jesus is in us, if we in Jesus abiding his joy, his joy will be in us. Settled confidence that God is on the throne. So if I can briefly steal more of your time, Tom's time. Say a brief word just of testimony to illustrate this message, not to to talk about us, but to illustrate this message. And you will hear in these testimonies, illustrations of God's power and grace and mercy. It is often difficult, right, to abide in Jesus. It is hard to persevere in love for Jesus. The disciples are experiencing just that. They fear. They are troubled. Over the last year and a half or so, as I was finishing a dissertation and and we were applying and considering and looking for all sorts of ministry opportunities and jobs, it was startling to me months down the line to realize how much the frustrations of almost getting a job, of not getting a job, almost getting this call, not getting that call, how much that affected, that determined, that governed my love for Christ. Our, our circumstances, right? Our struggles, even our joys, but our struggles, our fears, our hates, they often govern our relationship with Jesus. But the message, the, the, the application today is that Jesus' word, his life in his people, as they abide in him, that, that governs our life in this world. That determines the course of our path. It shows us the fruit we have to bear. So what do we do then? Well, we come to Jesus. We read his words. We pray his words back to him. Asking that his name would be glorified in us. So that we might bear fruit. This is a charter for Jesus' church. It's a charter for every church. It's a charter for you and me. So let me close us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, and his word to us, which makes us clean. God, I pray for those who do not know your Son, Jesus, and his word, and who are not clean, who are in danger of being cut off and thrown into the fire, that you would save them. And for those of us you have made clean, that you would give us, God, the grace by your Spirit, the power by your Spirit, the love to abide in your Son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.